G'day, this is Mark Pesci. Welcome to another news panel episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Today, we're going to be joined by legendary entrepreneur and investor Pete Cooper and Fairfax tech reporter Ben Grubb. Each of them are bringing their own unique insights into the news that matters for Australian startups. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Optus Innovate, providing support to the Australian startup community, and Newsmoto, providing quality, relevant, and timely news content. Welcome to the news panel special episode of This Week in Startups Australia. I'm Mark Pesci, and I am joined this week, first off, by, well, I'll give some of his titles. He was the regional director of Freelancer.com. He's the founder of iCentral, founder of SidStart, founder of Fishburners. It can go on for quite some time, but I think you probably all know that I'm talking about Pete Cooper. Pete, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. You're doing a great job, I've got to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. And after buttering me up, let's just move right along uh, to the tech reporter, is it tech reporter or tech editor now? Tech editor now. So it's tech editor, okay, for Fairfax, which covers sort of the whole set of Australian uh, newspapers. Uh, Fairfax is Ben Grubb. Thank you for having me. To start right off, we're going to start off where we started off in the last news episode, where we had Raina Lee Shannon, who had written the submission for Startup Australia for the government for the employee share schemes. And she said, look at the government's come back. This is what they think might happen. That was almost six months ago. Ben, do you want to give us a bit of an update on what the government's going to be doing with employee share schemes for startups? It looks like there's been some success for startups uh, and they are expressing relief at the moment um, because there's going to be some changes and the changes will mean that um, employees won't have to pay the tax right up front, right. which has been really annoying for startups, I guess, for quite some time and resulted in some of them in Australia um, actually paying the tax for the employee just because they don't want that $100,000 or whatever it is can be really high, obviously, if you get lots of shares. Right. So good news, I think. For And when is that all going to start to go into place? It's as of July 1. So the new fiscal year. So Pete, have you had to, because I know there's a couple of different techniques that companies can use to work around these problems. Have you had to do that? There's a whole bunch uh, of I have, yes, legal manipulations. Yeah. Um, like it's, you know, the, the, the whole uh, loan thing uh, where, where you actually, the company bundles up a loan with it or, um, you, you know, using unit trusts. Like I, I've got to say, I feel like we're going back to 2009 in 1st of July 2015 and all we're really doing is is um, adding more complications. And we've got the government saying that, you you know, if you meet, if you, you know, there's a 10 year limit, there's a 50 million limit through VC funding. Mm. They're just adding complications to an average scheme. It's not a world class scheme. It's not what we probably need, which is a 10 times better scheme in order to get on the global radar. Um, so, okay, yeah, sure, there's a little bit of help for, for startups, and I, I'm, I'm happy that we're getting some progress. Uh, so, hey, we're not complaining too much. <laughs> but by the just same token, when, did, when does the government. When is it good for government to get in the way of government, company funding choices? Right. You know, if you if you listed on the stock exchange, you don't qualify for the VC provision. Um, you know, it's 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 actually not a healthy thing in terms of free market. Uh, the way the way it's structured at the moment, I think, has been very short sighted. So, it sounds like you have some experience. Where would you say is world best practice in employee share schemes? 
Uh, well, you know, if you, if you if you do the old Delaware thing and you register your company in the US, and that's not necessarily a simple process right. either. I know. Um, but at least it's been consistent. And, and one of the great things about the, um, in the industry there is that because it's been consistent for so long mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it's become a standard, mm-hmm. you know, um, independent, the jurisdiction that's become the standard is independent of the jurisdiction where all the work's being done. Right. It, it's, it's got an industry built around it. So it's, it's actually very effective. And I think that's... So you want us to become Delaware corporations? Wouldn't basically. that be wonderful? Well, no, no, just, just just become a really great standard for Asia. You know, we do have force of law. We do have great trust systems. Uh, Asia looks to Australia as one of the more economic and uh, politically, you know, as much as we laugh at our political system, it is it is pretty stable relative to a lot of our neighbours. Oh, so. there's no question about that. It's it's stable. It's dependable. I mean, it's weird and wacky, and we will get to that a little <laughs> further on in the program. But then, I mean, you could then imagine that. Uh, you could even conceivably get some of the legal firms behind making something like that because they would look at that and they would see a gold mine. Because what happens is there's all these Delaware legal firms that work in conjunction with California legal firms and New York legal firms to handle all of the uh, corporations paperwork that flows in. Because I know as someone who holds dual citizenship, I know exactly what a Delaware corporation means. All the major American companies are Delaware corporations right? Because, because it's the thing to do. And the level of legal risk as a result of that consistency and standardised, right. like long-term consistency and standardisation, is dramatically lower for the investor, for the for the um, company officers, and for the um, staff members. And what um, I find amazing is when you suggest to any any federal leader, any uh, major federal bureaucrat, is okay. If you're going to do this, why don't you also give us a set of standard documents that right. will have an endorsed set of outcomes, tax outcomes? And they almost universally laugh. Whether it's tax office, treasury, ASIC, um, federal federal bureaucrats or federal politicians, because they think, oh, that's just too hard to do. But that's what we expect. That's I think that's what we should be able See, to. See, that expect. was my understanding is that part of the ESS was there were going to be some standardised documents to make it relatively easy for people. To be able to do a share scheme. Uh, certainly, there's going to. Be, it's going, we're, we're taking a step forward, and like for example, what the Startmate guys did a few years back and published their their, their um, documents and mm-hmm. made them available for everyone to use. So there will be de facto standards evolving. But the thing is, they haven't been tested, right. and there's no endorsement of what the tax outcomes are. So there's no. It's, it's well, still I mean, without warranty. So there can't be any at this point because this has never been road tested, right? I mean, we haven't had a chance to kick the wheels, and so you could get an A4 page from the tax office saying, "Hey, we're we're comfortable. This will have these outcomes." Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the commissioners lining up to do that? Be a very progressive one. It would, it would be a beautiful thing. I agree <laughs> it would with be you. <laughs> All right. So, so, so Ben, have we seen anyone having to spend political capital around getting the employee share scheme passed? In what way do you mean? I mean, did, did, was there was there any degree of arm bending that had to be oh, done? I think so. I think Turnbull had been told quite firmly. Um, by a lot of startups, even though he's not the minister that deals with this, right. he seems to be the one that everyone goes. He's the go-to guy who virtually invented the internet. Remember, right? <laughs> so everyone goes to him, and and he has been. He he understands uh, this issue, but it looks like we've got a restrictive ESS. Um, and I mean, as you said before, startups are defined as being less than ten years old, right? And with an annual turnover of less than fifty million. Right. I was interested in what you thought it should be instead of that. Uh, I think the age test is suitable in some industries, but like is Atlassian still a startup? Mm, well, great example. Uh, you know, probably not. You know, they're, they're hiring five hundred people globally between um, December and July. So, 
Um, probably not. But the, I think more importantly, the, 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 our definition of a startup needs to is, needs to be constantly evolving. People still call Uber a startup at forty one million billion market cap. Right. And but it's, again, it's only four years old or you know. four and a half years old at this point. I mean, the interesting thing I think around the numbers is that I also know that Startup Australia, I think, set the number at 100 million. They asked for 100 million. I think someone else came in at 15 million. And it sounds like the legislation sort of split the difference between these two. Because the dollar value, in a sense, is probably going to be more of an important upper bound than the years. 10 years, if you're still a startup at 10 years, you may want to revisit your life choices. Well, zero's, zero's uh, nearly 10. Um, Sasu's nearly 10. Um, and in a conservative industry like online accounting, it's probably going to take 20 years to truly disrupt. Um, their penetration in global SMEs is probably less than 1%. Um, so it's just starting. Um, so, But is a company that's 10 years old still going to be in the position of offering stock options in the same way that a company that's two years old and really needs to attract technical talent? Has that got the same sort of, of uh, allure? Um, without talking out of school, because I'm an investor in one of those and had... Sasu, just to be clear. St- yes, yeah. and, and st- um, conversations with the other. But um, I, I think I think uh, they are still aggressively hiring and they're competing against... So they do use those stock options as well. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and would prefer, probably prefer to do them easy, more easily. Um, if, if you think about it, they're competing against Intuit, which paid $170 million for Mint.com. Right. A decade ago, better part of a decade ago. Five, five yeah, it's yeah. A better, it was a while yeah. ago, yeah. It's so, um, I, you know, I don't think we'd be thinking big enough, to be frank. Yeah. So you, th- so you think we should probably have a longer time horizon and a higher dollar value in both. Yeah, and, and and separately, I think the test is wrong. So if 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 instead of saying um, it's. it's Taking a step back, like the, I think the main concern is they're worried about erosion of tax income, right. the tax base. So it's a protective measure to, to ring fence it so their models say, oh, look, this much is a risk, which is why it was a safe bet to say 50 million VC because our VC industry is almost non-existent. Yeah. Um, so if, if the, the mindset is about tax erosion, we're always going to have these artificial limits. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we take a step back and say, actually, no, we're in the biggest 15-year change in the history of the world in terms of creation of value and creation of social and commercial impact through the internet, it's actually about the upside. It's not about the downside on the tax base. It's about the tax on companies that don't exist because we have... So it's really about, it. it's about actually making a space for growth rather than ring-fencing something and saying we're only going to protect... Absolutely. Because the thing is, if you only protect things that size, that's the size that the system's going to turn out, right? Because it's going to optimize for that. And the product... We, we had four indirect... Uh, four individual sessions with the Productivity Commission during the recent in- reviews, and they, um, they understand this, but the, the, the bureaucrats that are modelling it are quite um, naturally conservative and they haven't been given an explicit instruction, which is what I think we need to have from, mm. lead, from a, lead, a leadership instruction that says this is about the principles of growth and realising our place in this new opportunity rather than the downside. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Optus Innovate. They've been providing funding to Australian startups and support to the Australian startup community for years. Led by Alfred Lowe and Peter Wynn, the whole Optus Innovate team are awesome to work with and big supporters of the Aussie startup scene, including Fishburners and Innovation Bay. 
Optus Innovate are one of the active local corporate VCs. They're looking for Series A investment opportunities. Outside of investment, Optus Innovate can also help connect your startup with Optus for partnership or business development opportunities. Find out more at optusinnovate.com.au. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. We're doing the news panel episode with Pete Cooper and Ben Grubb. Okay, so let's pick up exactly where we left off because a lot of this is tying into who do we need to talk to in Canberra about these things? Who do we need to talk to to get this agenda out there? Now, the Startup Muster survey that's been done by Mari Harpson here at Fishburners basically asked people about the the perception of the politician who's seen as being most startup friendly and resoundingly the answer came back that Malcolm Turnbull was and the question between say perception and reality is an interesting one here Alex Greenwich also came back really high because Alex Greenwich has actually spent time here at Fishburners. I think he's probably the only politician in Australia to actually take office space here and to sort of situate themselves in the middle of the community rather than just coming in for a meet and greet and photography. And there's probably been some of that going on because we have an election going on in New South Wales right now. But what was interesting and what came out of Crikey when it was commenting on the startup muster just yesterday was that, in fact, the small business minister, Bruce Bilson, this is his job. And he's he actually did manage to rate fourth. But it's almost as though because he's sort of got a relatively low position in cabinet and in the coalition, um, even though he's working really hard, he's introduced a bunch of legislations to improve contracts and so on and so forth, Turnbull is getting all of the attention here, rightly or wrongly. And as you said, Pete, when people have an issue with ESS or something like that, they, they ask Turnbull. And this is not as brief. He's the communications minister. So what do, Pete, what, where do we start with this? How do we figure out who in government is A, responsible, and B, how do we help them manage that responsibility? The, when, when, when Malcolm Turnbull was running uh, Aussie Mail in the early days, they came knocking on our door at, at Rothschild and said, hey, you know, do you want this internet thing? And uh, I was like, no, we don't need that. And we've got X25 switches and oh, old, old, old school stuff. I used to write X25 switches. <laughs> and, and a soft spot. Yeah, well, um, you know, he was, he was very progressive and ahead of his time and created value for himself and for the country in doing that. So... I think it's natural you go to the thought leaders and, and the doers, and and um, he has been. And we, we, I moderated a panel, um, you know, hosted and moderated this thing last night with um, Lucy Turnbull and and Paul House, the old AWU mm. um, union leader, and um, um, Emma De La Russa, another tech, a tech startup leader, and um, you know the the debate you know wandered around this as well. And and um, I think a lot of it is we, we're just not, we've 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 been caught up in this quite narrow, you know, social media snippets of just debate rather than big the, the value right. of big ideas. Ben, Alex Greenwich has been fantastic, but, you know. Ben, do we need a minister for startups? Um, I mean, this is a weird question, <laughs> but, I mean, do we... Do we, do we well, need... to other countries? I, I'm not sure that we need a specific minister. I, I would suspect that it. Singapore kind of has someone who's designated as the minister for startups. small business covers it. Um, but I suspect that the reason Malcolm Turnbull um, got such uh, a good response was where are the most startups in Australia? Sydney, where does Malcolm Turnbull live? Sydney. Um, he, he comes and visits um, some of the, um, the incubators and, mm-hmm. you know, meets people and has, get, gets t- has, makes, put aside 
puts aside time to get to know them. And it's the same with um, Alex. You know, I understand that he actually spent some time. Um, yeah, he took a desk here for two yeah. weeks in Fishburners. So, of course, he's going to get uh, a good response as well, I think. And, and that's great. Um, but does Alex Greenwich have the the ear of the federal government? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Malcolm Turnbull, yes. Right. I think that uh, that's, that's startups. Um, go-to guy as i said before um at the the moment um because he he does seem to listen and fix things especially attorney general george brandis's policies so this kind of leads me (laughs) exactly where we wanted to go which is that uh, we're recording this show on friday the 27th and on thursday the 26th the senate passed the metadata legislation the metadata retention legislation which will mandate that Australia's ISPs and telcos will hold significant and poorly defined bits of metadata for all of their customers for at least 24 months, which can be requested by, what is it, 90 different security agencies, something like that? 90 (laughs) government and security agencies. And you now have to wonder, because this was in fact Turnbull's legislation really not Brandis's legislation, you have to wonder if this is going to now impair the ability of Australian IT startups to function on a global stage. Will, for instance, a Chinese financial company want to keep its data records in Australia or even use a SaaS product that is somehow based in Australia, knowing that all the data going back and forth through it is being captured and stored into a database. Will an American company, will an English company? So where does that now, Ben, where does that leave us? So the data retention um, regime is, it requires telecommunications companies, so ISPs, um, you know, Telstra Optus, Vodafone, IONET, um, to store telecommunications data uh, for two years, um, and it's quote unquote defined in the act what that data is. When you go to look at what it is, it it's unclear. Like there is, it doesn't have a, a clear data set. It doesn't say store port numbers. You know, store. Uh, I don't know. So it, it, it's kind of technology agnostic. So yeah, it doesn't say store HTTP headers no, or. It doesn't say that. It's grey. It's very, very grey. And I was talking to... And do we think that this was intentional or yeah. do we think that this oh, totally. was because they Absolutely. don't know what they're doing? Yeah, definitely grey. So what we do know um, on a basic level is that um, the IP address assigned to internet subscribers will be stored, not the destination address mm-hmm. and not URLs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your email, uh, if it's hosted at an ISP... So if it's Aussie, so if it's Big Pond or yeah, right, Big Pond, maybe not Aussie Mail, but Big Pond or at IONet, they will have to store um, the uh, the pe- people that you're emailing and vice versa, the timestamp, um, and if it's uh, voice over IP product, they have to store the metadata or telecommunications data around that. Um, but if an Australian consumer uses something like Gmail or Yahoo or Hotmail. Uh, if that's still around, I think it's Outlook.com these days. It is Outlook.com, yes. Then that metadata won't be stored by the telcos. So it's kind of creating an anti-competitive situation. And is this because those companies are foreign-owned? So like because Google is is based out of Delaware, mm. as opposed to sort of being based out of an Australian corporation? Is that the main reason why? Or is it because the server is physically located elsewhere? It's 
uh, so the reason that um, the Ionet and uh, Big Pond emails will have to be stored under this regime is because uh, the legislation requires that telecommunication companies and only telecommunications companies, uh, carriage service providers, as right. it says, will have to store any communications um, within their company uh, of their customers. So technically, Australian startups, um, if they are not a carriage service provider, they don't have to retain the data. But Technically, Ionet was a startup once, right. and uh, but if I'm connected to my customers through Ionet, doesn't that then produce the problem because I actually have a monitoring thing in there? So one of the good things about this legislation, and there's not many, um, is that over-the-top applications right. that metadata won't have to be collected. So if it's a WhatsApp or a, a I don't know, uh, Telegram or, um, you know, the number of those apps, um, Viber and so on, um, that metadata does not need to be retained by the telcos. Um, but it may be retained and accessed by law enforcement agencies without a warrant, mind you. That's the other thing about this legislation. No warrants, 500,000 disclosures a year. Um, and and we don't know the figures for how many times ASIO accesses it because they don't have to report it. Right, except to the um, Attorney General. Yeah, um, so, you know, it, it's, it, as I said, I think that it will drive people away from using voice over IP products that are in Australia. And using any products that are being offered by Australian ISPs, which mm. could quite often be products that were developed by Australian IT companies. Yeah, so it, uh, there is a there is a indirect way that it is linked to startups, definitely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because a Telstra is going to want to probably have products that are developed, you know, by people they can call and say, here, please fix this for us, or the same thing for an II net. So do we think, Pete, that this is going to have an overall chilling effect on the industry? Oh, I, I think it's horribly designed. Like, this this is like banning 3D printing guns, right? The bad guys are still going to do it. Mm. And, in fact, they, they've already worked out workarounds for the for the metadata legislation way before the debate even started, and they were using off, off, offshore and, and obfuscation techniques right. you know whether it's from IP sources or, or, or encryption so all they're going to do is be more invasive on the average person and uh, it's an unmitigated disaster for a lot of the technology industry because it's going to provide an additional incentive for international um, vendors to be used instead of locally ones well, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, just in the last week, you've seen now everyone's trying to sign up for VPNs, not just because Netflix has arrived, but actually because there's a reason to start to. And I was reading something today which said that, in fact, the VPN providers are seeing most of the traffic just going in nation. So it's actually going from someone's home to the VPN provider in Australia just so they can have the level of encryption and obfuscation. And I, I asked um, the Attorney General's Department whether Australian VPN providers um, would have to store metadata as well, because if you you're going to use that, you, um, you know, you want to know what, what's happening with your data. If the VPN is provided by a carriage service provider, they will be required to store the metadata. So, so it's the Telstra VPN. Yeah. But if it's random weirdo VPN, the, then yeah. no. <laughs> if it's random weirdo <laughs> VPN, you're safe, I think. Though, it's going to be one all of their metadata. It's going to be the next startup out of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. 
when we're recording this week in Startups Australia, both Felix and I take a lot of behind the scenes photos. We post those to our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. You can also find SoundCloud and other media, the information about the podcast, links to the folks who are on the program. So check it out at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and you're back with the news panel episode of This Week in Startups Australia. We're here with Pete Cooper and Ben Grubb. Pete is famous from God So Many Things, but he's founded half of the startup things in Australia. So you can go back and listen to the beginning of the program to get the list. And Ben Grubb is the tech editor for Fairfax Newspapers. On to some really exciting news in that we found out earlier this week that Bug Crowd which is, I believe, a start-made company. And so you probably know a lot about them, Pete, but... I was at their first pitch, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so they've just gotten a $6 million Series A, which in Australian terms is knocking it just out of the park. And uh, look like they're really starting to grow. So this is a really good news story about a tiny battler Australian startup. Pete, why don't you take the story from there? I'm a big fan. Uh, Casey, uh, you know Casey Ellis? Yeah. yeah. Awesome guy. And uh, just, you know, high personal integrity, just hard worker. They keep getting on with it. Um, yeah, fantastic. So it couldn't be couldn't be happier. Um, and that, that, and it's not by accident, right? This this quiet professionalism that's yeah. just been for years, you know, years to be ten ten years to be an overnight success, as they say. Yeah. Um, and widely respected internationally um, for any in, in his in his profession. So smart business model, uh, smart investors, great showcase of the of this, and shows why Startmate is actually. A world class, you know, it's been independently rated. Is that the first the... really big breakout from Startmate now? Because mm. Ninja Box isn't quite that big yet, right? Yeah, so Ninja Box has had a, a potted history because of some of the things out of its control. But um, Dan Friedman, uh, ex, uh, we, used to, oh, yeah. we used to work with Dan for a long time, and, and um, he, he's yeah, we've awesome. been trying hard to get him on the show. We will eventually get oh, him on the show. I just saw him on Facebook. He's on a flight here now, so you'll be oh, able to get him next right. week. With a look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's no, no. I don't think there's um, any shortage of successes of the Startmate program, at both both short term and in the midterm. But is yeah. this the unicorn? Is this going to be the first unicorn out of Startmate? <laughs> I don't know. We're using it at freelancer.com. Um, oh, we're we're, we're, fa- yeah. we're fans. Our, our engineering guys are big fans. So um, yeah, just, so for people that don't know, it basically lets you outsource your penetration penetration testing of of your websites or products. Not necessarily outsource it, but maybe use it as a second layer of protection like you know you basically put the crowd of hackers onto your site uh, and then they get a bounty uh, a payment for doing so and companies like um, what was the one that you mentioned your freelancer, freelancer. Com, user, yep. they pay the money to set up the the scheme and um, and lots of flaws are found if they are and then they and, can be fixed and the, the key is there they found a way to incentivize uh, crowdsourcing of work. This is the the sort of key innovation. They figured out a framework that allowed people to get a reward 
for actually doing things that needed to be done that they were going to do. And so it, it provides a really good framework. And of course, it's a business that's globally scalable from day one. And that's they've always been global from day one. So this is something I've often heard when I have venture capitalists sitting here is they like to see businesses that are going to have global aspirations and global capacity from day Mick, one. Mick Lubinskis from Polonizer and Mirror D has been banging on about this being global from day one for a long time. And it, he, it, it's so true. You want a large global growing and addressable market mm. ahead of anything else because then with just a good team and time to iterate on your product market team product right. then you can make it happen and and that's what we're trying to do with um with iCentral with the um the the product layer you know is make it low cost so you can just quietly sit there and iterate and have and like Fishburne is here where we are today um, my central is about having a curated community that peer learning from each other right. so your team just needs to be good and self-aware in the right crowd you're peer learning all the time and the, and so great market team and then time to chew on the product is is and and Casey Casey's definitely done it Casey and his team so do you think they found their product market fit or do you think they still have more to go on that? Oh, no, I think they definitely have product market fit. Absolutely, right. yeah. And, and room, room to grow. As, as you say, it, they could have a, a global crowd. Like freelancers at 15 million, freelancer.com is at 15 million through acquisition and organic growth. They've done, I think they've done theirs entirely organically mm. um, with, without a lot, of, a lot of advertising, to my knowledge. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, no, that was, I mean, it's all been word of mouth on that because people who use the product tend to really, really like the product. So is that going to be, I mean, we now have Atlassian, we have freelancers, bug crowd. Campaign more, monitor. Oh, campaign monitor, which no one ever thinks about because they don't actually do any, all their stuff is actually almost done overseas, right? It's like they don't have the same local presence in a way. I don't quite know what, but you're absolutely right. Everyone always forgets about campaign monitor. If, if we had to say the tech startup community in Australia has finally has gravity in Sydney, I think campaign monitor is a great example because they've moved from the Shire to the, the southern edges of city to smack bang in the centre of Sydney yeah. in the same building as Anchor with views over the harbour, you know, um, very low profile, really. I think yes, that's, one that's business what I'm saying. That's why we all keep forgetting about yeah. them. And the Apple and Nike and all those guys are using them. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. So okay. So we got those three. Is is Bug Crowd going to be the number four on that list now? It, it, it is one of the one of the few that anyone any any internet business in the world can use immediately. Yeah. Um, I think their challenge is going to be how they add value to the API layer because you know the API world yeah. and to the mobile native audience, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, You'd be silly not to use a company like them at the moment with the amount of data breaches that are occurring on a daily basis. Well, presumably at some point your insurance company is going to require you to use well, something like that if, or else they're not going to insure oh, you. Yeah, wouldn't it, that be beautiful certification? Oh, yeah. If Australia ever passes mandatory data breach laws, um, which hasn't been on the agenda for a little while, then it will mean that companies are going to go, mm, well, we've got a bit of a risk here. Um, we don't. We want to prevent data breaches. What are yeah. we going to do to do that? We've got to, you know, get pen testing. And this is one of the, not. Uh, I guess it is a cheaper way to do it for um, smaller startups. Well, it's one of the tools in the arsenal. That's the thing. I mean, you have a whole range of tools at different prices for different uses. Mm. This is one of the tools that will probably end up being in most of the arsenals. And, and, and also it's a startup for startups um, because they're, uh, a lot of startups won't have a security person right. in them, and you'll see tons of security flaws in things like Secret, for example. It was meant to be an app that you kept everything <laughs> secret, and, and there were flaws. <laughs> the irony. And so, um, you know, if you let if you let the hackers onto it, and they they know what they're doing, and you don't have to hire your own internal one. It's it's a great idea. So. 
Pete, are there particular kinds of startups that Australia is better at maybe than other countries? That's a great, that's a really great topic. Um, I, I look, I, I think we have some that, I'm so optimistic about tech startups in Australia at the moment. Mm. We've got this natural advantage thing going on with, as we said before, legal you know, and political stability, right. economic progress. Um, and now employee share options. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's an ice cream or a marshmallow or whatever, but um, the, uh, the the you know historically the connection through the through the UK, um, which we, we you know we, we obsess about because of the constitution, mm. but commercially and in, in um, uh, network wise with the US, and and you know I know Gillard said that this is the start of the Asian century, but frankly we've well and truly we've had we're into well and truly into our second uh, yeah we're hip uh, deep uh, in the asian century um and the you know pe- people forget there's 150 languages on the east coast of australia and 61 percent of the total global internet in our east coast time zone oh, i think we're uniquely placed for some of these and things like marketplaces uh, like i know i mentioned freelancer.com before because i've been a big fan and investor and now working there and we sold sid start to them to, to as as a sponsor and you know acquihire and all that other good stuff but i think that there's actually a natural advantage in it. Dave, no, Dave McClure slapped me down on this from five, the guy from 500 Startups oh, yeah. we know who when Dave I suggested is. it. And, and um, I think he, even he's coming to the conclusion that there might be a grain of truth in it because there's a, there's a trust factor that's necessary for marketplaces. A lot of the developing countries, and, and uh, that includes our neighbours, don't have that, whether mm. it's payments, mm-hmm. whether it's reputation. Um, you know, the freelance.com team on reputation scoring and data science is enormous. It's world class. It's 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 probably not talked about enough, and um, th- that that has been a, a big enabler. But even small marketplaces like um, Airtasker, mm. we'll talk. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, right? Um, the, their innovations and um, um, the 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 urban outsource. Have you heard of urban outsource, which is just targeting time poor professionals for stuff. Noga Edelstein. Um, uh, there's there's a whole bunch springing up that are that are generally finding niches that just you know, because it, it's a trusted environment, right. Australia is actually a great. It's it's not okay. Maybe we're not Switzerland of of Asia, but there is an element of opportunity there, no, which is undermine my metadata. Yeah. On the other <laughs> hand, if you are a foreign government, you don't necessarily want the other country to be Switzerland either, because you're going to need to get some data out at some point. There's there's a level of transparency that another government actually wants to see in a partner government, and if it's too opaque. It makes them nervous. Government are not good, never been good customers, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, Ben, do you see any sort of trends on what kinds of startups we're starting to get good at now? Um, uh, I guess the Uber for X. We've got a lot of Uber for X. <laughs> We've got a lot of Uber for X everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's great. Um, I don't know. We were talking earlier about fin uh, before the show about fintech startups mm. in Australia. Um, I think there's a lot of um, well, there's one particular one. Um, uh, I can't think of the name, but um, they let you or they analyze your bank account. Oh, that's a uh, Get Pocketbook. Yes, yeah, I was an early early investor in them actually. Yeah, yeah big fans of Alvin and Alvin and Bosco. Yeah, um, and they got. Uh, they've got what is their investment up to now? So they, they're targeting student the student audience, and um, they actually have two businesses: one that looks like Mint.com and one that looks like Yodely.com, mm-hmm. and they aggregate the accounts and then analyze it and um, provide anonymous data. Like they were the one of the first to say to make it obvious that Netflix was number two, even though they hadn't even launched yeah. in Australia. They're number two behind so they Foxtel. Have a lot of data, and that data is very valuable. Um, but 
you know, what are the natural advantages of Australian service? Um, I don't know that um, it's it's hard. I don't think we have a lot of advantages, to be honest, and that's why a lot of people keep going and leaving. Um, but I guess we have uh, early adopters. Like we're a very smartphone. Uh, we have smart, yeah. great smartphone um, penetration. Yeah, in Australia. So, I mean, if there's any way you want to um, launch your smartphone app, it's it's here. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Newsmodo. Newsmodo crafts stories of all kinds for news channels, publications, and brands. Drawing on the expertise of more than 14,000 contributors worldwide, Newsmodo helps brands connect with existing and new audiences through written and visual content. In 2015, news reporting and insight are no longer just the domain of traditional media. Forward-thinking marketing managers and brands leverage the power of Newsmodo's journalistic platform to deliver compelling stories, to deliver insights and perspectives across owned, earned, and paid media. Learn more at Newsmodo.com. This is Mark Pesci. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia, and we are here in the news panel episode with investor Pete Cooper and journalist Ben Grubb. So, Pete, you have been on about, and you have literally just come from a pitch session in one of the, I have lost count of the number of fintech hubs slash accelerators slash whatever you want to call them that are now popping up in Sydney. What's going on here? <laughs> what is going on? Like, wow, it's like the hot topic of the week at the moment, the month or whatever. Uh, might be it opened the fintech, um, uh, the knowledge hub, uh, Stone and Chalk. Um, right. Craig Dunn's the, the, the inaugural uh, CEO, I think, and um, um, uh, Warwick Smith was there for the big O. Open and uh, Lucy Turnbull and the whole crowd, Committee for Sydney and very, very, um, right, very big Committee deal. for Sydney was really one of the big movers and shakers that made it happen. Yes. Right? They said this needs to happen. And yeah. AWI as well, I think the um, Australian Wealth uh, Investments. So I just spent five hours this morning doing deep dive, mentoring with the AWI current cohort through their incubator. Uh, there's some very interesting businesses, so it'd be two or three there, I think are actually probably potentially very seriously good businesses. All right. um, so what's a lot going on. Yeah, Founder Institute's got a few fintechs. Yeah. We've got some uh, fintechs at, at uh, iCentral. Uh, yeah, I don't still quite know, but they're, they're onto it. <laughs> All the big names are onto it. So well. is it... Is it um financial services? Is it digital currency? People doing crazy things with Bitcoin? or people doing new payment systems or remittances? Or is it just sort of all over the map? And is it is it dealing more with folks in Australia or dealing with folks actually globally? It's definitely global. Um, there are there are a few, you know, um, the Fortress Australia things that are driven by our, our, our regulatory and, and just and in the market four big banks. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the big four. But you know, Westpac's been very progressive with the, um, their investment in, in Society One. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, Tyro Payments, Mike Kennebrooks from Lassian's the chairman, and they're, they're actually you know classified as a bank now, mm. even though they looked like a payments company. So Mike. You know, Mike Cannon Brooks has got the biggest unicorn software company and a bank. That's yeah. an interesting little thing. Um, that they've opened, they, you know, maybe they just bought too much space. But uh, Jost Tolman, Stolman, 
from from Tyro has uh, opened up his own. Uh, he wants to host anyone that wants to program to the Tyro API is going to have a can have a space there. Um, in the meantime, while we're waiting for these places to get going, there's there's smaller groups that are popping up um, in, in little clusters. Um, whether it's gaming, in-game payment systems, or um, right, there was a company I think out of Brisbane that's doing that. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's well, yeah. Is it related to Halfbrick or is it independent? Because Halfbrick. I remember, so I remember well. seeing them at Seabit though. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's very very interesting. Um, why why is this happening? Is Maybe just, it was inevitable. Did, did financial services firms or whoever is backing this fintech movement go, we want some action in the startup space? We've got lots of money. Let's just pour it on in. So I think some of it was just following following London. Some of it was the uh, corporate refugees from the global financial crisis going off and doing tech startups. Some of it is just, you know, big. In, it's a big part of our economy. And some of it is defensive. They want to make sure that if they get disrupted, they have a share at the table mm. of the company that's disrupting them. Absolutely. You know, some of it is purely defensive and that's some of the money around this doesn't quite know where to go because it's defensive money and defensive money doesn't understand how to make an investment other than to just splash it around until mm. they get something do you think the banks are worried that that people are going to take their money out put it in somewhere else and well, i think it's hilarious because you know this is this is so deja vu 99 clayton christensen wrote the innovators dilemma disruptive innovation was the, the term that he coined and everyone forgets that's where it came from you know buy the book but don't read it's boring read the wikipedia page um and you'll get it in five minutes and the 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 um the top three guys from macquarie bank paid me to go around the world and look at 800 companies i came back and said we should buy paypal and they said oh no too too weird at 10 million too expensive at 100 million and ebay bought it for 1.6 billion yeah and i left the company you know it was like that's just just such a wasted opportunity we could have been you know home to paypal in in asia and now china union pays romping around the world so uh yeah it's a funny old world we live in <laughs> all right so let's let, let's move on from so we've got the fintech popping up everywhere there's a bunch of reasons why in two weeks before this program is back we're going to see the launch of the apple watch ooh, ooh. i know uh, either of you planning on buying one i uh a tech journal so i get lots of uh review units uh and cycle through them currently wearing an android uh samsung uh smartwatch i i wear it all the time now um the android the apple watch um interface is very different Mm. it's all about um this glance thing and um and you can interact more and you can design the apps more and um i think the apple watch will probably be the one that takes off i mean everyone that i know all of my friends are iPhone users, right. and uh, I, I only recently. But are they all going to pony up the eight hundred dollars that it costs? Well, that's the seventeen thousand. Yeah, do you want wow. the sport version, or you, which like? But, you know, but even the sport version is around five hundred. Oh, it's, it is. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, mm, I, I'm not sure that um, you're going to see uni students with these. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. Will there be a line at the store? I'm not sure. But anyway, there's a bunch of apps that are coming out. Um, I've got confirmation now that mm. um, about Woolworths is coming out with it. I mean, you're going to see all the typical ones coming out, but obviously there's Airtasker. I think they're doing their own. Uh, so is this, yeah. is this for someone who's providing or someone who's contracting for labour? Which side of the value proposition, or is it both? Well, yeah, you, fr- freelancers doing one as well. And we, we think it's actually not 
about the side of the market or the buy or sell side. It's actually just about the points in time. So if you if you if you are bidding on a on a job and you're a freelancer bidding on a job, you want to be able to do that instantly because we know already know that. So it's like the way mm. people used to handle eBay bidding, where that last yeah. three minutes. And eBay has said sprinting. that they're going to put out an yeah. app because you don't want to miss a bid. You want right. to make sure you get it. Right. And I think there is a good so value it's, proposition. It's, it's arbitrage that. on your Apple Watch, basically, <laughs> right? I mean, it's getting in at the last minute to sort of make the deal. Though right. I think you're going to be fatigued with all these notifications. Like at the moment, I like I, I sometimes when I don't have my phone on me, I get phantom vibrations. Mm. <laughs> And now when I haven't got my watch on me, my, my wrist starts going crazy and I'm going crazy and all the emails are coming through. Um, uh, but that's, you know, email, inbox, overflow. I mean, we're all... But I, I, but I really do think that you've touched on something here that the notification culture that we've sort of stumbled into, but basically over the last year, you know, we wanted to make all of our information immediately present. Unfortunately, now all of our information is now immediately <laughs> present. Yeah, and, and, and so in fact, we're probably going to figure out better techniques for dialing that back hopefully i mean you think about how a web page used to look when you think you try to put everything on the web page now we don't do that anymore we we're very good at hiding it and making it sort of more digestible mm. but i do think that you're right i think a lot of people are going to be going around buzzing like that so peter you seeing companies coming to you saying we have killer apps for the apple watch now we the freelancer.com team had a little bit of uh watch fatigue early on with the samsung mm. and thought that maybe maybe the adoption was overhyped um my daughter works at Apple now. There's absolutely no doubt that this is not not overhyped. This is going to be the thing. It's going to go nuts in my mind. Mm. They're, 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 but is it going to, is it going to happen right April. away, or is it going to take some time for it to go nuts? No, it's going to go straight away. Right. Uh, so 10th of April. Uh, this is. I don't think. I don't know. US is 10th of April, right? Uh, 10th of April in Australian stores, you can go and try it. You can't right. buy it. And um, but Airtask has launched the app. As Ben said, there's some great other ones coming. The freelancers are doing a hackathon on this internally um it's yeah it'll be a, it's so a, it's a thing already of apps. yeah absolutely it's a Boy. thing already yeah and it's changing culture like we're giving away pebbles at iCentral just the best to the best startup of the week at the moment just because we, there's, there's another whole generation coming through we've got to get used to it and your culture changes you're in a meeting mm. notification comes through you look at your watch it's gonna <laughs> you got somebody it does change things like i i mean i already in meetings i'll check my phone but now I'm I'm checking my watch, which is but a I feel bit just more as guilty. I feel just as guilty. I'm not sure. And it looks like you want to leave the room. But because you're, Google you're Glass. I mean, if we look at Google Glass versus this type of wearable, Google Glass is not going to ever, 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 ever take off. I don't think. I when I first reviewed it, like I had a Google person stay in the room and a video camera trained on me, and it was my first experience. I'm like, oh, this is cool. But then you know, after a while, seeing all the bars in San Francisco start banning it, it's just awkward. Yeah. People think they're being recorded you're going to get punched in the face. I mean, this is the wearable that is going to work. So on that line, I woke up this morning. Before I got out of bed, I had downloaded a new app on my iPad called Periscope, <laughs> dialed it up, and was was literally sitting in some blokes, I think, in Auckland's windshield as he was driving to work. And I actually... You know, wrote him a little message. I said, "What are you doing?" And, he's, and he comes Sad. up in his Kiwi accent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm driving to work this morning. It was a beautiful day. You know. And we're now in this era, and it's only happened in the last three weeks, basically because of Meerkat exploding at South by Southwest, and now Periscope, which is Twitter's competitor to it in the social broadcasting space. Where all of a sudden, and we've had. I had a Nokia N95 with Quick on it. I had live streaming. Say, we, yeah. we had this for ten years. But it's as if the last 10 years, 
didn't matter until the last yeah. three weeks. And I think I, I was trying to figure this out today because uh, it's just crazy. Like I'm like, why is this happening again? There were there was uh, I don't know if people remember, but Justin TV, mm. there was I mm, Justine, yes. there was yes, all these is. live live streamers, all yeah. you know, that were doing this way back, and and now we're seeing a resurgence. And I think the reason is because of 4G has made the quality so easy better yeah. and like we were one of the f first countries that adopted 4g right and i mean there was ustream that was quick i remember 2007 2008 twitter was out i mean you could ustream or quick but there was no one really watching them unless they were on the website now that we have twitter which is another yeah. thing Damn. that right. just makes it blow up it's the switchboard that connects all the streams together yes. so now my question for you now that because you're a reporter now, are you basically going to be using that? Do you suspect that the order will come down from on high that you're going to use either Meerkat or Periscope to start filing? There's, there are already discussions going on about those particular apps. And in fact, this weekend, um, you know, plug, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald is going to be live streaming um, the New South Wales election from different uh, areas around the state. And every reporter is going to have a selfie stick. <laughs> I believe we're not calling those periscopes. Um, and uh, you'll be able to, uh, you know, see live. And this is something that, I mean, it's a newspaper doing this now. Right. Um, obviously, we're not a newspaper. We're an online media company. We're a media company. <laughs> yeah. um, Acting and, like yeah. a media company should in 2015. Yeah. We've got a mass event on Tuesday to celebrate Freelancer.com hitting 15 million users. Right. And 50 people in fancy dress from all the different countries, 250 countries, but we'll, we'll have about 50. Bunch of students, all the staff dressed up. You know, uh, just after the tranny bingo that, that was on at, at uh, World Square will be the uh, Freelancer um, celebrations, 15 million, with Meerkat live uh, obviously the people in the office watching meerkat roulette right. and now periscope you know it's just a circus well, we, we now know why twitter killed meerkat's api access right uh, clearly uh, it wasn't clear last week uh, but now it is so basically what happened was um you could see all of the twitter user people's um pictures their avatars as they started joining and watching um and i think twitter you know, severely restricted what they could do. Um, what really annoys me about Meerkat, though, is I can't... I, every Meerkat that I've tried to view, bar maybe one or two, uh, has, uh, you know, the Meerkat is over. You can't see... It's like oh, it's, it's like Snapchat. It's yeah, like it's over. Because, yeah, it's because people... Whereas Periscope will be saving it so you can watch it for up to 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and that, that's good. Um, but... I, I saw uh, the, the New York, there was an explosion um, yes, this morning. This morning. And there were three different angles on awesome. Meerkat. No, on Periscope. On per Periscope, uh, sorry. Periscope, yes, yeah. and then the Meerkatters came in. All right, Pete, Ben, this has been an amazing news review. I think people are going to be able to look at this 10 years from now and go, wow, they actually figured out what was going on in Australia. And <laughs> hopefully we had some good suggestions for how they can fix things and maybe even stream them live once they're fixed. So thank you very much for joining me on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. Great Thanks. time. Yeah. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. It has been a real pleasure today to talk to Pete Cooper and Ben Grubb about what's going on. You can really hear from them that this is a time of incredible development, that there are mistakes being made clearly politically, but there are also opportunities that are opening up and there are ways to fix some of the mistakes we're making. So as we move forward, if we can keep in mind that what's good for startups is in fact good for Australia, we'll be able to make the startup community something amazing. 
So once again, I want to thank them for their participation. I want to give big thanks to Optus Innovate and Newsmoto as sponsors they have made today's show possible. Thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that's a joy to listen to. We're going to be back in a month. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.